Hey everyone, it's Justin from Mayday, and uh, we are here with a very special guest, Kate Kelly. Works for an organization called Equality Now, and they are doing a campaign with Hulu and with us subsequently uh, with The Handmaid's Tale that is called Hope Lives in Every Name. And we wanted to talk to her today about her organization, uh, how it has uh, impacted the world and things around us, and what she thinks of the show and how the show really relates back to things that they are uh, doing work with. So, Kate, how are you today? Hi, I'm well. Thanks so much for having me. Oh, absolutely. It's a pleasure. This was a rough episode. Um, episode 10 was a doozy, uh, to put it kindly. Um, so, first of all, let's get a little background on you, um, because you do have a bit of an interesting story. Dive in a little bit briefly about what Equality Now is all about, and then we'll get a little bit into the details of the show. So I work for Equality Now. I'm an attorney, and I was also raised in a very conservative religious uh, organization and a community. So I feel like a lot of what's happening on the show resonates a little too close to home sometimes. And I'm from Utah, which you really, I'm not sure that you get closer to Gilead than mm. Utah. <laughs> um, the state the state legislature is over ninety percent Mormon, and so it's it's essentially a theocracy, um, and one religious denomination pretty much controls the laws and the operation of the state. Very and so I don't think I knew it yeah. was that. I mean, yeah. I obviously know that Utah is heavily uh, influenced by the religion there, but I didn't think I knew it was that much. That's interesting. It's not only uh, one party, Republican, but it's also very, very heavily dominated by one one religion. So um, I feel like I feel a lot of solidarity for the women of Gilead. <laughs> I would imagine. Um, and I feel, I mean, this episode was so rough that I think it's important also just to note from the outset that, you know, anyone who is the survivor um, of any... Uh, form of sexual assault or abuse or any of these different things that we're going to talk about. I'm just, um, my heart goes out to them. And if you went through the entire episode, that kind of can be a re-trauma for a lot of people. Sure. Um, and we kind of, we see that in the characters as well. So if you made it through this episode and you're a woman, in particular if you're a survivor, um, I congratulate you because it was rough. Absolutely. Um, but and I think the themes um, that we deal with at Equality Now are very difficult. They're, they're difficult um, topics to get through. And so as you're watching, you know, a fictional portrayal of what's going on in, in this fictional place, a lot of these same things are happening every day to women and girls all around the world. And so what we do at Equality Now is really particularly focusing on using the law to protect and promote the human rights of women and girls. So the organization was started in 92 by three female attorneys, um, one from the U.S., one from South Africa, and one from Iran. And they got together because one of the issues that really wasn't being addressed, even with other international human rights organizations, was female genital mutilation. Mm. And that comes up in the very first scene of this episode, because if you'll remember... Um, Emily yes. um, Offglen, one of the handmaids, she was a victim of female genital mutilation in the show. Right. Um, and so when that scene first pops up, and you know it's it's right off the bat, 
very, very, um, you know, that you know that sexual violence is going to be part of that scene. But also for me, it reminded me that, you know, she's not only a handmaid and not only the victim of this ceremonial rape, but she's also already been the victim of uh, female genital mutilation. And so it, it has all of these other um, after effects and makes obviously sexual intercourse very painful. Um, and the risk of getting pregnant after you've already survived FGM um, is, uh, it, it has a lot of associated health complications. So I'm thinking all of these layers of what she's been through um, and FGM or female genital mutilation affects 200 million women and girls worldwide. And in the United States, it's a problem. A lot of people think, oh, that's a problem that happens far away. And it's not something that happens here, but that's not true. Um, it's estimated that 500,000, over 500,000 women and girls in the U.S. are at risk of female genital mutilation. And just yesterday, I talked to a woman who had had uh, uh, the most severe form of FGM. And she's a white Christian woman who's from a conservative tradition in Oklahoma. And she and her, all of her sisters had been, as children, put through this procedure. And so it's more common than you think. And that's sort of startling, I think, to a lot of people. Startling is a understatement for that. Um, yeah. Because yeah. I will say and, that, and, that being involved with this podcast, with this show, is kind of, you know, there are certain things that you get exposed to that you... Like you said, people think it happens in other places. And so I was shocked even just by the numbers of what you were saying that that happens here in the United States. And I think that, you know, not that it doesn't matter where it happens, but knowing that it's so close to you and it's not outside of your, uh, you know, outside of your society, even that it's just terrifying. Yeah, absolutely. And it's something that really thrives in secrecy, as a lot of these practices do. And so um, women are told not to speak about it or, and, and there is a federal law against FGM. Yeah, and so was, a lot of people. That was going to be my next question was what does the law yeah. say as far as, you know, what are there, you know, what can you do about that as far as that situation goes? It is illegal um, under federal law, but there are a lot of states that um, still have not passed anti-FGM laws. So there, there needs to be progress in um, many of the states that still need to, um, you know, that need to make it illegal sure. by state law. Um, so there's, you know, U.S. Code, um, 18 U.S. Code 116, there's a female genital mutilation law, and it makes it illegal to perform it in the U.S., but it also makes it illegal to knowingly transport a girl outside of the U.S. for the purposes of FGM. So that's something that's also is common, is that, um, that it's um, people will travel to their home country, have the procedure performed there, and then return so um, the federal law also prohibits transporting a child for the purposes of FGN. Um, and then, again, we still have those 26 states that need to um, pass laws against FGN. And there, there also needs to be a lot more um, work done as far as enforcement goes. Mm -hmm. And so it's on the book. But as far as enforcing the law and prosecuting people, um, particularly parents who um, are usually involved, or, or another family member who's involved right. in in the the mutilation, wow. um, and so there's a lot more work that needs to be done, including education. Um, you know, a lot of times people are doing because they think it is a requirement.
requirement or that um, you know a lot of a lot of stigmatization exists around um, not doing the procedure and so there's a lot of education and um, to bring it out of secrecy to bring it out and one of the the woman that I talked to yesterday who who was a survivor of FGM she said she just thought that everyone had been through this procedure and that she was the only one um, that she wasn't the only one and then when she it wasn't until she went to nursing school and they went through these different anatomy lessons and she realized oh this doesn't happen to everyone. She thought it was just something that every, every woman went through but didn't talk about. Oh my gosh. And so I think it's important for folks to get the conversation going. That's why I really um, appreciate all those. The, the themes are very deep and heavy. Um, but Handmaid's Tale is bringing these out in sort of a um, much more popular media yeah. because it's important that people know this really happens today Absolutely. Um, to hundreds of thousands of women and girls. Um, and so, yeah, that I, I felt like that scene was particularly impactful um, for me. But I also like at the end of that scene when Emily, um, she, you know, she, he, he feels over where, mm-hmm. where it's a little unclear, but it seems like he's dead. Right. Um, and, and she, she kicks him. <laughs> yes, she um, <laughs> And I felt like, I felt like that was such an impactful scene. And I think Hannah made tell does a really good job of per- portraying like nuanced stories of mm-hmm. survivors and kind of capturing in really, really dire circumstances, their resilience. Yes. Um, and it, you know, it, you oftentimes perpetrators um, think sexual violence makes a victim one thing or another, or society really stigmatizes them. But I love how in the Handmaid's Tale they're portrayed with unique personalities, and they, um, you know, they, they, whatever they can do within the system, they do in order to fight back. And I think it's really, you know, with equality now, that's one of the reasons um, I'm so proud of the work that we do is that we really center the stories of survivors and um, listening to survivors in the work that we do. Whereas in Handmaid's Tale. The entire point of Gilead is obviously to silence them and to erase them and to make them invisible. Right. Um, and so I think whatever we do, whatever we can do to do the opposite, to tell the stories of survivors, to give them a platform, to help them speak out, and then people can connect and realize, oh, it wasn't just my story. This happens to a lot of people, and it's not okay. Sure. And so let's let's talk a little bit about something that. Uh is inherent in this show and that is something you spoke of that kind of ties into the uh, female genital mutilation which is this young women and young girls being raised Mm -hmm. in these kind of insulated uh, I wouldn't say cults some in some cases they are but in these societies and religions Mm -hmm. where uh, they marry them off very young and so there's a lot of child brides uh, not just in the United States but obviously Mm -hmm. around the world and that's a issue and that is something that's been brought up on the handmaid's tale and like you were saying this woman who uh was a victim of the female genital mutilation not realizing that this was not something that everyone Mm -hmm. went through until she was well Mm -hmm. after you would think um someone should have that Mm -hmm. knowledge and so talk about your work in that area of child brides and kind of even just human trafficking because some of that is probably how that occurs as well so yeah, I think it's interesting how um, they portray Eden in the show, mm-hmm. um, how she's so young and she's so invested in the system that's really um, oppressing her and abusing her, but she's, she's grown up, she grew up in it. It's 
everything that she knows, and so she's very committed to um, she's very committed to to that culture, to that religion. And I think that's the case for obviously for a lot of people. If you're a child um, and you're taught your whole life that this is what is right and what you're you're to do, then you don't know anything else. You don't know any different. Um, and so, and yeah, child child marriage is actually a big problem all around the world. Recent research shows that um, 167,000 children as young as 12 were married in the U.S. Um, between 2000 and 2010, and that's only in 38 states because there aren't statistics available in the other states. Um, and in the U.S., over 20 states have no minimum age for marriage. That's mind-blowing. So in most places. Mind-blowing. Yeah. And I know, Literally like, no, I think who, no. Kentucky and I believe Florida were the most recent ones that I think I heard of. But. Yeah. And so most states is 18, um, but there are exceptions if you have permission of the parents. Mm-hmm. Um, and then there are also exceptions for judicial waiver. So there really isn't a floor. If wow. a parent, uh, if, the, if the parents or guardians agree and sign off, then you can get, get married at any age. And that can be as young as 12. Um, 10 or 12. And so that happens still in the United States today. Um, and often if you're coming from a place or a conservative culture or religion that um, supports child marriage or if the victim, uh, the child is a victim of uh, rape and ends up pregnant, um, sometimes to hide the shame or to hide um, stigmatization in the community, the parents will authorize the marriage um, to sort of cover up what happened. Mm. And so um, there's also, so statutory rape is where the age difference is so big between the two people, the child cannot consent. Right. Um, but in, even in the federal law, there's an exception for marriage to statutory rape. Which so, is, which is very um, interesting given the laws historically being crafted and yeah. made by men. Um, I think exactly. it's something, I think that's something, <laughs> I, well, I think it's important because I think if you look at all these things, I can't imagine if you flipped everything on its head and it was this female, you know, driven power thing from the get go of our society in America, right. that those laws would be crafted the way they are. So I think it speaks to a lot, you know, and some of it, I think you have to look back and yeah. say a little bit, it was different times, different eras. And so there were different thoughts behind all those things. Mm-hmm. There are always wrong morally, I think, to most people who look mm-hmm. back on it. But I think it's very important to acknowledge the fact that for the vast majority of our existence as a society here in the United States, it's literally all of it, it's been male-dominated. So this is where these laws are coming right. from. So Unchecked patriarchy is really the, the overarching theme of The Handmaid's Tale. Indeed. I mean, we're dropped into the scene when Gilead already exists, but Gilead didn't wasn't invented in a day. It was this culmination, and they sort of show throughout the season that it's this culmination of a long process of curtailing basic human rights over time, and everything that they're doing in Gilead is legal. They've changed the laws. Right. Um, and so I think, you know, the reason it's so uniquely popular right now is people are seeing um, some really alarming things happening um, at the federal level with with changing laws and, and taking back really hard fought victories um and so yeah i think it's it's important to remember that this is a process and what they did was actually use the law or change the law um in order to really codify everything that they're doing and it's i think they 
um, I, I liked the way that in this particular episode, they um, sort of, they showed the violence in a new way, I think, particularly with the most um, heinous scene mm-hmm. or one of the most heinous scenes in the episodes where, in the episode where they um, uh, both um, of the Waterfords participate in the rape of June, who's very pregnant. Um, and I think we see this violence in a new way where she's really fighting back and she's struggling. And um, I think sometimes the shock of sexual violence gets lost in the way the show portrays it as so ritualized. Mm-hmm. Um, and so it, it can be, it can be less jarring, which is sometimes troubling. Um, and so I think they showed, they con- contrasted, I guess, the first scene with Emily right. with um, this other scene of, of um, June and really, really hits home um, the absolute horrifying nature of, of this, this sexual violence and of the way that they've ritualized it and codified it and sort of made it an acceptable part of society. Right. And I think what we need to do um, and what Equality Now tries to do is show people not only change the laws, but change the way people view it so that it becomes socially unacceptable. You know, the same way that, that we've done with FGM, same thing with um, child marriage. You know, there's all, there is only one state in this very last year, Delaware, um, became the first state in the United States to ban child marriage altogether. Um, and so there's only one state that you have to be 18 in order to get married, and that's Delaware. And then there are other states who are um, bringing up these bringing up these laws to ban child marriage, um, but often often it's religious denominations um, or other community conservative communities who are fighting to keep child marriage legal. And so I think a lot of what we what we need to do is to help people understand the negative impacts and also help people understand that laws can also go the other way. Right. <laughs> laws can, we can make more progressive laws. We can ban child marriage. We can ban FGM. We can um, make a lot of progress um, on sexual violence and, and, um, and that the, both the cultural shift and the legal progress um, work together. So talk about a little bit, uh, you mentioned that Equality Now kind of uses the law in order to help these victims and help these certain uh, situations. Uh, talk about the struggle of, you know, what you were talking about, which is them changing the law and kind of fighting this uphill mm-hmm. battle of, you know, your mission is to use the law, but then the law is being used against you. Uh, what's that been right. like and how do you guys deal with that? So um, we work in many different countries all over the world. Um, we have offices in New York and London and in Nairobi, Kenya, and are opening one up in Amman, Jordan. Um, and so it's really trying to, across the board, target um, unjust laws or, or laws that negatively impact women. And you'd be surprised how many of those are there are. <laughs> <laughs> I can imagine. Um, and uh, so we also we have what's called an unsexy laws campaign. And basically it's laws in all places, whether it's inheritance rights, whether it's, um, you know, victims rights, whether it's um, a lot of these different laws um, really are based in family law. Some of the most intransient laws, the ones that are the hardest to change, are in the in the category of family law. So whether that's marriage, divorce, or inheritance, all those laws are very, very, very rooted in, in patriarchy and um, domination. And so those are some of the ones that we focus on changing. Um, and a lot of 
the work that we do is also through litigation. So um, picking uh, cases of, you know, particularly egregious cases or women and girls who really need help or want to reach out. Um, so another one that kind of comes up, uh, comes to mind that's uh, featured in this episode is forced pregnancy. Mm-hmm. Um, so we see, you know, the entire season, June is being forced to carry this child. Um, so an example is um, a case that we took was a 10-year-old girl um, who, whose name is Mainumbi, um in Paraguay. And she was she became pregnant by her, basically her abusive stepfather. She was raped. And because of the laws um, around reproductive rights in those countries, she was forced uh, to carry the pregnancy to term. And then, um, so this was in 2014, and it turns out, you know, 684 girls between the ages of 10 and 14 in that country had um, been forced to give birth. And so it's really focusing on those laws that are so extraordinarily punitive, um, particularly to young girls and targeting those laws and then illustrating with these examples um, of, of women who, who've been through these things, illustrating that and then focusing and, and changing those laws. And then we have seen progress. I know things are pretty bleak, just like this episode <laughs> is pretty bleak. Yes. <laughs> um, so things are bleak, but there is progress. I think what we, you know, we can always reflect on episode nine if we need a little hope. In the Absolutely. Um, and where they... They, I thought they they portrayed in Canada was really interesting. What they did was focus on the names because a lot of what happens in Handmaid's Tale is that the victims are erased. Yes. Um, so even in like the pregnancy checkups where June right. is literally put behind a screen right. so you can't see her. She's totally dehumanized. Or even in this episode where she comes home and Serena doesn't even look at her in the face and she runs right down and looks at her belly. Right. You even see that played out all the way to the end of life, right, with the funeral scene after the bombing where, you know, the handmaids died and they don't even, they refer to them of, you know, of of their of name, you know, not even their actual human real name. So, yeah, you see that played out completely to the end in this society. Yeah, completely. They're totally um, dehumanized and stripped of all dignity and stripped of their names. And, and that also happens in this episode. Um where um, uh, June's daughter is renamed uh, Agnes yes. and sort of stripped of her her previous life, and so I think there's a lot. I think there's a lot of power in what they've done in the previous episode, which is um, naming. They they receive the letters from all of the different handmaids and they publish them, and they have all these posters with all the different names. What the show does very powerfully is portray how. Um, how impactful it can be to know the names. Um, and we see that in the episode where they, uh, in episode nine, when they show, you know, they publish the letters from the handmaids and they focus on their stories and then they have all these posters with their individual names on them. Um, and so I think that's uh, why the, the hashtag that we're choosing for this campaign is hope lives in every name, that all of these victims, although they're statistics, they have individual names. And they have individual stories, and they are really resilient, powerful people who have a lot of courage to come forward. And whether they've been trafficked, whether they've been victims of child marriage or female general mutilation or sexual violence, um, I think it's really powerful to learn more about their individual stories and cases. And so that's what helps 
change both the culture and um, make progress legally is when people understand how these policies and laws impact individual girls and women. That's excellent work. And I I know the last thing I want to try and touch on here, and it's a fairly hot topic now. So we talked about, uh, you know, June's daughter, Hannah, having been renamed Agnes. Mm -hmm. And we've seen a lot in the news lately just with the, you know, families being separated at the border. And I think there's a lot of confusion and obvious misinformation um, regarding, A, what the law says in regards to this situation as far as them being separated from their families and how it's being handled uh, policy-wise. And also, we've seen more so in the last few days, in the last week, where a lot of lawmakers are kind of finally stepping up and visiting these centers where these children are, and you're starting to see the footage. And today, I know there was some clips of video with audio, um, so that's out there if you can uh, listen to that and kind of, that, th- like you were saying, mm-hmm. hearing the voices and really seeing it impacts people. And so I think it's really important to get yeah. that stuff out there. So talk about that. Talk about where that, uh, the legally, where all of that is at right now and what we need to know about it. Yeah, I think um, the family separation issue is a good illustration of um, how policies can so devastatingly affect families. And when conservatives say that they care about families or put families first, um, I think it's very clear um, that that doesn't translate into a scenario like this. And so um, family separation has actually existed a long time at the border. When I was in law school, I went down and did um, observation of a program that's called Operation Streamline that specifically targets migrants for criminal prosecution through basically what are kangaroo courts, like trials where 50 people are tried at a time and they all say not guilty together. Um, And really what they're doing is being railroaded through a system um, where they can be criminally prosecuted so that statistics when, when politicians say, well, we're just deporting criminals, it's because they made them criminals through um, this very, very, this process that totally lacks due process. Um, and so I think family separation and criminalization of migrants has existed over many administrations. But what we're seeing now is a very um, hard-handed policy that cements um, something that's so devastating for these families. And also um, detaining children separate from their parents and, and also detaining unaccompanied min- minors on military bases has existed again for multiple um, administrations and the creation of the Immigration and Customs Enforcement and CBP, the Customs Border Patrol, those those were created in 2003. So it, it's not like these institutions have always existed or, or um, need to exist in their current form. I think it's really important to think about the institutions that we create and the people we vote for and the way that they treat these families. So I think there's a lot that we can do to change our immigration system and that we need to do. And and the other thing that's so troubling to people, aside from the images of what's happening in, in the cages that they're being kept in, is that these children separated from their parents become very vulnerable. Yes. And so they become vulnerable to traffickers, they become vulnerable to sexual exploitation, they become vulnerable to all kinds of things when they have no guardian. And so I think, and that's also what's been, that's what's happened to Hannah in, in, in the Handmaid's Tale in this episode. She's been taken away from her guardians, she's been taken away from her parents, and essentially 
is being groomed in, in order to be trafficked or to become a handmaid herself. And so I think that scene is very, very powerful where her mother essentially, it's, I mean, that scene is heartbreaking, mm. where June essentially says, enjoy your life and tries to instill in her, and maybe the last time that she'll see her, um, she tries to instill in her some hope. And I think this just, it illustrates the hard choices that millions of women, um, particularly mothers, have to make. You know, people who are making this journey across the border are making this journey out of necessity. They're essentially economic refugees or fleeing violence or domestic violence or female genital mutilation or all of these different things that we've talked about. And they're coming here out of absolute dire necessity. And so I think it's, it's both illustrated very well in the show, and it's also illustrated in current media right now that these almost impossible choices that millions of women have to make. And so I think, again, I think it's important to remember that there are things we can do and that we can change these policies. They are not permanent institutions. These laws can be changed, and they have to, you know, through concerted effort and through focusing um, on long-term goals and, and the people that we put in power, it doesn't have to, it doesn't have to slip any further. It can get better. Um, we can improve these laws. We can protect people and we can protect families. They do it in other countries. Um, and it can be done here. So if there is a ray of hope, <laughs> which after this episode, um, we need one. And I, I think if there is a ray of hope is that, um, people are speaking up. People are, um, tuning in, people are caring more and more. And so I think if we can make a connection between these fictional characters and what's actually happening in the real world, we can make a big difference. I absolutely agree. And I thank you for taking the time today and uh, appreciate all the work that you and your organization are doing. Um, so before we go, let's give them uh, where they can go to get more information about Equality Now, where they can donate and contribute to uh, your organization and just uh, get more involved. Absolutely. So um, the the PSA for the campaign will be aired with all the different actors with this episode today. Um, and so you can sign up um, there. You can also sign up at equalitynow.org. And the hashtag is hope lives in every name. And so if you want to tweet or retweet or, um, you know, share the video and help kind of get the word out about the work that we're doing. And of course, also donate on, on the website. Absolutely. And you will uh, see a very heavy presence for this on our social media and as well as the podcast obviously with this interview going out with this week's uh, content so again kate kelly uh, with equality now we appreciate your time and just the tremendous work that your organization is doing so thank you from uh, our show and thank you for uh, on behalf of all the viewers and everyone that you're working to help thanks so much